Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode's guests are Professor Lynette Riles, OBE, and Dr. Nikki Williams from MKU, part of Cranfield University, which is a Crest academic partner. They discuss why there is a rising incidence of cyber attacks, the role of human factors in defending against them, and share their top tips for how both companies and individuals can protect themselves. They also explore the skills gap in the industry and pose the question, how do you train up a cyber expert? As you'll hear them discuss, you don't need to have a technical background to become a cybersecurity professional. So, Nikki, we're going to look at cybersecurity uh, really from two perspectives today. There's the, the kind of perspective of, of the board and the chief executive and the things that are keeping us awake at night. And then there's perhaps the perspective of how it looks at the coalface in academia, the skills gaps. So I think there's there's sort of there's those two perspectives that we want to look at today, perhaps, you know, the more technical, but also the, the corporate level as well. And I really wanted to start by talking a little bit about the increasing perception of cybercrime, the fear of cybercrime, and the way that that's really coming up the agenda. We've been hearing a lot more, particularly in the last two or three years, as more and more companies are doing more business online. It's been a, it's been a kind of effect, hasn't it, of, of COVID and of a, this very rapid shift to online. And actually what we're seeing, therefore, is there's a feeling or a sense in which therefore more companies and more individuals have a higher vulnerability to to the threat of cyber attack and we also hear that it's it's quite difficult for us to get statistics on on how many cyber attacks there are the how damaging those cyber attacks are but there's that feeling of kind of fear and of it being a growing problem and i just wanted to to get your take on that how you see it um, yeah, I think it is a growing problem. There are more and more different types of threats occurring, but also I think the willingness of people to share them means mm. that we're hearing about more of them. So um, the news reels these days, as soon as there is a breach, someone is going to report that, it's going to come out in the news. And so we're all hearing about it. It's reported a lot more. So it may, in some cases, it might not be there are more attacks going on, but more of them are reaching the news or people are, are realising they actually have to admit them, they can't keep them secret. Things like the Information Commissioner's Office, you must report these things. So the, the prevalence may not be getting too much bigger necessarily, but the amount of reporting of it is a lot greater. Well, that's really interesting. So, so that this is, in your view, much more about us being more open as, as businesses and organisations and, and actually a little bit also about regulatory requirements to, to report. What about the actual size of the threat and the degree to which an attack can be damaging? Because again, from a board perspective, my concern is about sort of DDoS attacks, about just being unable to, to function, those sorts of things. So that feeling of the, the size of the threat has got bigger. I think we're so reliant on technology that actually, yeah, the, the attack surface has increased. The amount of different resources that we're putting online into cloud services, etc., mm. mean that actually we have got this bigger thing that we're having to defend. And for better or worse, as the defenders, we have to defend every single inch of our organisation. Whereas an attacker just has to find one one point of weakness, and 
that for that to work and then they've managed to break in and and create some sort of breach or incident and so i think again the scales aren't really tipped in our favor Mm. and as we're putting more and more things online we and investing more and more technology we are creating more and more different options and also i I think um the cyber criminals are getting better at communicating and building their networks as well so as soon as one person finds a particular um, situation or a particular thing they can exploit they're then sharing that with other organizations and so we're being hit by the same thing but from lots of different companies um, and very very difficult to protect against all of those and I, I think you're making a really important point about really where these attacks are coming from because perhaps I I might have thought uh, as a chief executive I might have been perhaps more worried about things like um, organized crime but actually I'm now perhaps getting a little bit more concerned about some of the incidences that we're seeing reported in the press about just individuals who are being able to break into things and and and, and steal secrets and, and publish them online. And of course, I'm now also becoming concerned about the growing threat from AI and almost from, if you like, non-human sources of threat. Yeah, I think there's so many different avenues that we can can be attacked from. And I think, again, we all focus on the malicious outsiders, mm. but we also have the insiders as well. Ah, and, yes. and actually, there are more and more incidents where it's a whistleblower or it's someone that's got access to documents or information systems because of their job they're then able to release that onto the dark web we saw the recent incident where someone had had put it onto a social media discord server for for sort of bragging rights and Mm -hmm. just there are so many opportunities or different things that can occur Mm -hmm. and so yeah it, it is a probably quite a scary thing for the board but I think it's so important for them to know who to go to for advice and to realise that actually it will never be risk free there will always be a possibility of something occurring but it's understanding those levels of risk and then putting appropriate mitigations in place Mm. and you can't make something 100% secure unless you never switch it on never connect it to the internet Mm, and that's that's fascinating so I've also been thinking about you know are there therefore some things that we're we are doing as as businesses that are actually leaving us vulnerable because you've said yourself there is this this threat of that from from the inside so are there some things that perhaps we need to do as the board as senior leaders in organizations to minimize or mitigate that that internal threat I think it's so important to make sure that everyone in the organisation feels security is there, there within their control and mm-hmm. something they need to worry about. It's not just down to the IT department or the security person or, or team, depending on the size of the organisation, it is for everyone. And so actually trying to make it really, really easy for people to follow those good behaviours um, and also emulating that so we don't end up with pe- senior people saying, I need this done in a hurry, ignore the security. Actually, mm-hmm. they need to be embodying it. security is important. We've got a priority task, but we need to make sure we're doing it in a secure way. So there are things that we can do to be that role model, um, but also making sure we're not adding security barriers that are perhaps unnecessary. And for some some of our situations, some of our data might be lower priority, shall we say, but we need to empower people to be able to do their jobs. We can't make it so that we've added so much security, no one can actually access their files. That's that's no good for the business as well. So it it is that, that weighing scale of going what what level of controls do we put in place so we can still do business, do everything we need to, and we're protecting it where we need to for regulatory reasons, etc. But we're also then making it so that people can do their jobs. I think one really, really interesting opportunity there is to give people the planned action when you're doing something, and then what's the alternative? So if you try and do something and you can't for whatever reason, whether that's security or the system, once the systems is down, whatever it may be, what's the next best alternative? Because some of us want to use the gold 
gold standard, but we can't always do that. And if we're given free reign to pick alternatives, we might not go for the most secure next best alternative. So that's a really useful thing for organisations to consider. Mm, that's good. And I, I, your particular expertise actually is around human factors in, in cyber. So I wanted us to, to talk a little bit more about that because you've sort of described in passing about how the technology is is getting better and and actually quicker and at, 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 at an accelerating rate i would say but let's talk a little bit about those human factors and my my sense from a board perspective is that the bigger risk is probably can i say more likely to be careless than malicious that that's that's how i would see it from a board perspective but it would be great to to see how you see that from a technical perspective yeah, I think that there are these instances where people are just trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to do their job. It doesn't quite work as they expected. And then they try and circumvent a particular process in order to to, to maximise their, their opportunity to make that goal, whatever it may be. So it is really about trying to have some of these security things so that they're imperceptible. We don't realise we are going through these processes, but it's picking things up automatically or um, we're, we're actually persuading people why this is a good thing because um, it's really challenging to persuade people to spend money on security because what do you get for that money nothing happens and that, that's that's a difficult thing for us to think about but if it does go wrong really really bad so it is i've just trying to encourage people nudging them towards those good behaviors um, making sure there are little signposts or things that remind people to do things in a secure way um, and when they're not able to do things in, in the best possible way what's the next best alternative rather than them going for their own choices as, as to what they might do instead because mm. we always want to be able to complete the job and want to be helpful and that's where where some of these these problems occur where something is perhaps outside the scope of what the system was originally meant to do it's, this is when you perhaps escalate it or you go to, to someone more senior or you get the security expert in to just give their perspective on it. So it is about the normal everyday things that you do and then some of those ones that are perhaps out of scope. And I think from what you're saying that actually one of the important human factors in this and what you're, what you're describing is straight down to the board and to senior managers. So we've got to pause and think before we overrule something. Yes. Uh, in order to get the job done quickly or whatever it is, because actually some of those human factors that you're describing are actually people who are being told to do things by their line managers, by their senior leaders that could potentially lead to, lead to a threat. So I guess a sort of a, in terms of our top tips to companies, I, I think my first top tip would be this is got to start from the board down and if you're going to have an engagement rolling through the company to improve your cyber security and reduce the threat you've got to start at the top because at the very least the board needs to understand the potential consequences of some of those decisions that that we've been talking about. Yes, definitely. And I think if you've not got someone within the board with the, with those expertise and that knowledge, it's bringing in the, those executive directors or bringing in extra people to be able to, to have that perspective potentially, um, or knowing when to go out to an external company or, or go out to particular people within the organisation, because not everyone on the board will have cybersecurity expertise. That, that's very, that's understandable, but making sure you know when to go and ask those questions and what what are the right questions to be asking. It's not necessarily is this secure. It's a, how can I make this as secure as possible to do to still meet my business objective. Mm. 
And, and like other chief executives and board members, I've been through cybersecurity briefings of various kinds, and it's a revelation. The the source of the threat, the the extent of the threat, and just some of the the things that that we can do to to mitigate the, the threat. So that was that's my top tip is is to start with the board and make sure they're engaged. What what it, what would be your top tip or tips for for companies Nikki? So I think one is around really understanding your company and what information it is you've got and what needs greater levels of protection so rather than trying to protect everything equally um, because actually you then have this enormous attack surface and an enormous amount of data but there's certain information or certain systems that you might want to add those extra protections so it's really understanding your IT setup um, and the data and the information you've got within that organisation and how to best protect different elements of it rather than trying to do the same thing for everyone. And then I think the other top tip is around trying to really empower your workforce. So rather than trying to scare them by what might go wrong, it's really empowering them to feel that they can make a difference. Because if we tell people it's really, really bad, there's loads of cyber threats and and realistically we can't do anything about it, people switch off and they don't try and put any of those steps in place. So it's making sure they feel they can make a difference. And if there is a problem, they're willing to tell you uh, Mm. because that reporting is, again, so important. I think that might link back to sort of your first comment about the increase in threats or the increase in reporting. People are more aware of it and they're more willing to report, which means we're hearing about more of these threats. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've had a greater incidence of them occurring, but we're more open about them these days. Mm. So I think that that cybersecurity culture where you've really empowered people to, to feel they can make a difference. And there's something also, isn't there, about putting into into language that non-technical people can understand. I, I love the, the 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 slogan that we've got on our, our screens now that say, you know, shut down your computer, you wouldn't leave your front door open. I mean, I, I think that that sort of natural language is is really interesting as well. Yes, I think in terms of my, when I'm doing any education sort of set up, I try and have those metaphors or those so that people can actually link it to something in everyday life. Mm. Because some, some people are very technically minded and they understand all the intricacies around the computer and exactly how what it's doing and where to save things and what to do and the types of attacks and what zero day is, etc. Whereas other people need to actually hear that in language that works for them because if it's relatable they're much more likely to follow the advice and remember it so some of I I tend to also use sort of that that house analogy when I'm trying to talk about the fact that a system isn't 100% secure we don't ever think our house is 100% secure but we make sure we've remembered to lock the front door we make sure we've got house insurance for contents and buildings and things like that because things can happen so again that works as a really nice analogy there for for the cybersecurity and the fact that we're not aiming for 100% security necessarily. And what I really like about what you've said is that idea of not just casting it as, oh, it's this huge threat, existential threat, and we can't do anything about it and we're all helpless. But actually what you're doing is you're you're casting it in that language that says, do you know what, there's something that everybody can do, no matter what their role in the organisation, which I, I guess is quite a, a sort of powerful message to, to individuals as well. There is always something that you can do to help uh, keep keep data secure to help to to keep the organization safe and indeed your own data and and your own files on on your own devices yes Mm. i think sometimes relating it to people's personal lives their own devices makes them think about it and then they realize they need to do that at work as well some people sort of separate those two different areas of their lives go well i know i have to do this at work but i I wouldn't do that on my home devices or you can sort of hook into a particular thing that they they want to protect photos of their children for example they don't want those to be released on the internet to people that aren't meant to see it. So just 
giving them something that they can link to a hook of some description. And again, I always try and make sure we talk about what the threats are and then how people can protect themselves. So that's what they remember at the end of a session rather than, than just the fear and uncertainty of all the things that can go wrong. It's, it's give them a little bit of that information so they know it is a big threat, but how can they then be empowered to actually do something and improve the situation? That's great. So the top tips for individuals are there are things that you can do and personalise it and think about it in, in that way and think about potentially the implications for yourself, your family, etc. You know, that's that's really good. So so as we're talking about individuals, um, there's a big issue for us as businesses, and we know from a lot of our employers, that there's a dreadful shortage of people who have got these kinds of skills. And you're talking about you're educating people into to, to get them into these roles. Typically for a lot of organisations, cybersecurity is either it's an add-on to some sort of computing or IT function, or it's dependent on one or very few people or even a fractional person. Uh, so so there, there are sort of, and those people take holidays and go sick. So there are pressures that we have to have to manage. And nationally and internationally, we know looking across that skills gap landscape, that this is now a chronic shortage. And indeed, there's been quite a lot of comment on that, even from the government and from various security organisations in the press just in the last week. So I wanted us to talk a little bit about how at MKU we are helping to fill that, uh, that skills gap. And in particular, I wanted to start by talking about the kinds of individuals that might be attracted to careers in cybersecurity. Because I think we see a lot of assumptions that these are kind of mathematical geniuses, or what can we say, people who like to, who prefer to um, sort of code in the dark and, and don't come out during daylight hours. And there's, there's that kind of sort of metaphor or that, that kind of misapprehension that these are the sorts of people who, who are into cybersecurity, that it's very particular, they're very mathematical geniuses and et cetera, et cetera. Now, recently in the last um, sort of two or three years, I've come across a, a number of people who have actually moved across from very different kinds of, of careers, from, from careers in, in medicine, from careers in, in design, you know, people who've moved across into cyber, perhaps in early to mid career. And I was really interested in that because of this often very hard over perception about the kinds of people who are who are cyber geniuses. So I suppose that my question to you is, you know, as an as an educator, you're, you're helping to develop people to fill these skills gaps. Do you have to be a mathematical genius to to switch over to to a career in cyber? Quite simply, no. <laughs> um, so there are so many different roles within cybersecurity. So there are some of those roles where actually being a mathematical genius, brilliant for the cryptography, actually sort of creating some of those elements. Definitely, there are some roles for for people with those skills and expertise, and people that want to do a lot of coding or persevere when they're building something and it doesn't quite work really really important there are definite roles for them but there are also roles around things like governance or audit and um, security education where awareness and training so there is a whole host of different things from my perspective I think that curiosity or that interest and willingness to always be learning because whatever you find out today and you've sort of researched about in five years time there will be new threats there'll be different things so if you want to learn once and then use for the next 10 years that's not really the career for you but if you're always continuously learning then definitely that is a good area to be in people with that curiosity and willingness to um, 
start looking at a particular problem and then looking at outside of the box thinking and sort of different perspectives again really important quite a few people do transition from more governance um, and audit sort of roles within their organization and then they transition to then be looking at the cyber audits rather than perhaps looking at, at some other area again things like manufacturing there are people that do quality assurance and they may now be doing this on more documentation policy and process so some of those people with that real attention to detail again there's definite roles for them and I think for things like the digital forensic side of it as well where you're looking after an incident has occurred actually trying to work out what's gone on on that that particular machine people with that investigative interest really really would be really good for them I think some of the challenges in the cybersecurity area and why we've got this, this enormous struggle with trying to get people into jobs is for some jobs we want five, ten years experience. And actually there are a lot of people that would be really, really good at the job with, with no experience right now, but just give them a couple of years to train them up in the subject area and they would be really, really great at it. But because some people think, well, actually you need to have a certain amount of experience to be able to do the job, they're, they're less willing to do the training. And other organisations might do the training and then the employee then moves to another organisation because they get paid more so they've invested all this time and money. So it is really about organisations trying to invest in their own um, and making sure actually some of these things that could just be taught um, and they, they could pick up some of these skills. They're already in a role where they understand how to manage people or how to manage lots of documents and things like that and now they're just adding that cybersecurity knowledge onto it. That's really important. So, so you've you've mentioned in terms of the characteristics of the people that we're looking for, you've talked about curiosity, you've talked about an eye for detail, and you've talked about that that sort of investigative mindset as being important and, and for that, that big range of careers. Well, here's here's another question. So you are a, a woman running a, a course in cybersecurity and indeed researching in that area. I'm a, a woman running a technical higher education institution. How inclusive do you feel that careers in cyber are? So because of the sort of wide range of different opportunities, I think actually these days it is much more inclusive. It is a, a much better place to be. Um, there are lots of different initiatives that are working to try and get more girls into this particular subject and to retrain people in, into this area. And I think historically there's been a bit of an image problem, shall we say. And what we see in the media are those hackers in their hoodies in the darkened basement um, typing away and actually that's not what all the jobs are there are some where, where you, you can be like that um, but there are plenty of others so I think having those role models um, making sure that people are going out and talking to people and so you can see what these different jobs are because I think when I even when I was at school this wasn't really a career pathway um, I got into it by doing computing which again I'd not really expected to be doing originally um, but my parents were both computer programmers so I possibly had it in the genes so to speak but I did computing and then my husband spoke about cyber security threats he was seeing in his day job and I, I sort of went all this interesting human computer interaction stuff and psychology that I'm doing really applies in cyber and would be really useful so I transitioned across at that point and so it wasn't that I knew it was a career pathway necessarily but it was interesting and so I think the more we're sharing actual examples of the types of roles, the types of things you're doing in that day job, um, and some of the, the ways we can actually contribute and make things better. So in terms of education and um, offering courses and sort of talking about the different problems that we, we use within within the classroom, really trying to find ones where we're 
improving things for society or making things better for a particular group of people rather than just building things for the sake of it or just securing things for the sake of it tends to then resonate quite well with female population rather than than some of the previous examples you might see in traditional computer science courses but I think in the last 10 years there's been a lot more work in, into this for computing as well as then specifically cybersecurity. so things are getting a lot better mm-hmm. and, and yeah having those role models going into schools into companies really important and that, that's that's great to hear and, and And let's just um, finish by talking a little bit about how you are developing people with cyber security skills and how you're you're really helping to fill the skills gap. So at MKU, we are offering degree apprenticeships, uh, including two, one, a broader one around digital technology with a a cybersecurity pathway and another one, which is a cybersecurity technical professional. And um, the way that we do this, picking up on what you said about developing skills is actually by setting real world issues and problems for for our learners to, to tackle. Now, degree apprentices are people who are working, but they're learning at the same time. So they are, they're getting some release from their employers and they're able to pursue this pathway with you all the way through to, to BSc, to degree, undergraduate degree level, which is fantastic and a huge opportunity for, for people perhaps who, who didn't get into the right career the first time round or who are just leaving school and, and perhaps not wanting to go to, to university. But I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about about what's distinctive about the way that you and the way that MKU is educating people to in cybersecurity. So in terms of our particular course, um, we very much make sure that cybersecurity isn't an add-on at the end. So for our digital technology solutions course, they are actually thinking about security at all the different stages. So I I deliver a module looking at secure software development. So I run through the traditional software development lifecycle, but then thinking about where where are we gathering security requirements? How are we then making sure we're documenting those security requirements when we're coming up with our designs? When we're actually building it, what are we adding in to to make sure we've got those controls in place and then again our testing what extra tests are we putting in place so it it isn't um, something that we do just at the end because it can be really difficult to then rebuild things in we've also got quite a focus on the human side of it because if you don't get people on board and you're not including these things and building that cybersecurity culture again it's not not the best organizational setup it's quite good to make sure that everyone understands this is their something they should be worrying about something they should be working towards and so trying to to have that human aspects again front and center is something that you do because the conferences that i went to sort of five or six years ago human aspects were starting to be spoken about now most of the talks actually at things like b-sides are on these particular topics because people have realized it's really really important you can't just buy a box and fix it all All of our assessments tend to be authentic assessments. They're taking real world situations and creating deliverables as you would in the workplace. So we have an ethical hacking module where we are actually getting people to interact with pen test reports and then be running the various different pieces of software in order to create their own. So really making sure they're using up to the minute tools where they can and then creating deliverables as they would in the workplace. And because our course is all three years of the, the traditional degree, they get that initial grounding in computing, computer science, digital areas. So you can actually transition into it even if you're not in a cyber role originally. So you might be in a broader IT role with a plan to then move into cybersecurity later. So because it has that 
general first year where they are learning just the digital areas, how to program, about software development lifecycle, about how organisations work. They then specialise in cybersecurity in year two and three, um, rather than having to have that cybersecurity backing originally. So it's quite nice as a transition course in as well. Mm, so we're we're passionately committed, both of us, to, to filling this, uh, this skills gap and doing it with this unusual approach where, where we're building in more flexibility, we're building in more practical skills, and we're applying it all to, to those real world issues that, uh, that we've already spoken about in this, in this conversation. So we are really proud of the role I think that MKU is, is playing in starting to fill that cyber skills gap. Thank you for listening to this episode and a big thank you to Nikki and Lynette for joining us. You can find links in the podcast show notes to learn more about Crest's academic partner. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast is brought to you by Crest, an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.